We're going to continue on Acts 4 today. We're going to talk about something that is actually really exciting, but I think a lot of us don't really entirely understand. We're going to talk about prayer. I get, uh, I get told every once in a while, it happened again recently, I, I get told that I'm a little bit energetic for a preacher. I get a little worked up and excited. Are you sure you need to do that? And my, my response was to the last one, you know, we get all excited about football teams that just break our heart and disappoint us at the end, right? When's the last time God broke your heart and disappointed you? Huh? So yeah, I'm going to get a little bit excited. Today we're talking about prayer, and prayer is actually very, very exciting. I got a little bit overwhelmed, and it caught me off guard at the beginning of the service. One of our families is halfway across the world with part of their new family, and that is an answer to so many prayers. How can we not be excited by that? God wants to answer our prayers. God wants to hear your prayers. Before we get any further, I want to pray. Gracious God, thank You for today. Thank You for every person who You have gathered. Some of us are here for the very first time. Not sure what this place is all about or what it is that they're in the middle of or experiencing. Uh, God, I just uh, I thank You for every one of those folks as well as the folks who are here for the 10th or 50th or 100th time. And what we ask, God, is that You would be made real to us. And God, prayer is something that can seem overwhelming. It can seem something that we're not prepared for or very good at. But really all that You want is to hear from us. You just simply want a relationship. And that's one of the ways that we have a relationship is that we talk to each other. And so, God, as we talk about prayer, I pray that you would just open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to who you really are and to what it is that you really want. And that is simply to be real to us, to be in a personal relationship with us through Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to guess that if we got real honest with each other for a moment... I'm not going to ask you to do this so you can let your heartbeats go back to normal. If we got real honest with each other for a moment, every single one of you sitting out there today has at least one thing that you wish you could bring to God and that God could change. You've got one big prayer in you. Maybe your big prayer is world peace. Maybe your big prayer is... For a family that has a crazy, wonderful dream of adopting new kids to bring home and to be a part of their forever home with them forever. Maybe that's your big prayer. Maybe your big prayer is to know that you're forgiven. Maybe your big prayer is to break a sin or an addiction you just simply can't get beyond. But every single one of us has at least one big prayer in us. I want you to think about that big prayer, what it might be as this message goes on this morning. See, God's concerned about all the little things in our lives. I know that He is. The Bible says that God wants to know what's happening with us. That's Steve's paraphrase. That's not a verse. God wants to be in a relationship with us. And the way that we're in a relationship is that we talk to each other. God wants to know what matters to you. God wants to know what's on your heart. Maybe the thing is that you need to forgive yourself. Your big prayer would be to forgive someone else. Maybe it's that you need to forgive you. Maybe your big prayer is that there is a miracle that you or someone you love needs and there's just no other answer out there. Maybe it's restoring a relationship or healing finances or or a job. But every one of us has that one big prayer and, and the problem that we have is we don't feel that we're worthy to bring it to God because we're just not that big a deal. God's got better things to do. Not true. 
however big your big prayer is, God wants to know what it is. We're going to hear about a group of people today in the book of Acts who prayed a big prayer. Last week where we left off was Peter and John had been preaching. They just they'd healed a man who'd been lame since birth and he hadn't been able to walk because his ankles hadn't been formed correctly. And he jumped up and he was healed miraculously in an instant. And Peter and John went on and preached and they, they preached a sermon that apparently was so good, 2,000, roughly 2,000 people put their faith in Jesus at the, as a result of that sermon. That's some powerful preaching. And the religious leaders of the day responded to it by arresting them and putting them on kind of a fake trial. Well, we pick up today where these guys have just been warned and threatened and told, we can't find anything you actually did wrong, but you need to stop talking about this. We're going to let you go, but you need to be silent. They threatened them to stop preaching. Now, the threats actually carried some weight because these were the exact same men who not very many days before had sent Jesus to His death on the cross. These guys were serious with their threats. Peter and John knew it. So they said, we're going to let you go, but you've got to stop preaching. Acts 4, 19, Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter says, we just got to tell what we know is true. Sometimes we're afraid of speaking the truth about who Jesus is to us because we're afraid of what people will think of us. We're afraid of what they're going to say. We're going to think, they're going to think that we're not cool. They're going to wonder if we fell off the deep end. You just became a Jesus freak. So what we do is we're silent and we don't talk about it. Well, these guys have just been commanded, ordered, threatened not to talk about it. And essentially what Peter says is, he's so real and what's going on is so incredible, I can't stop talking about it. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They went back to the friends that had no doubt been praying for them because they knew these guys might not walk out of that trial. They might end up on a cross just like Jesus did. Who knows? So Peter and John show up and it's time to celebrate. And certainly they did. And so we pick up what happens. What do they do next? They choose to pray. So they're released. They go back to their friends. They tell them what happened. Verse 24, When the friends heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, all the friends could do was to pray and to give thanks. Jesus, their Lord and Master, had been killed. Peter and John were still alive and with them. And they were going to celebrate. And the way that they chose to celebrate was to pray, to give thanks where thanks was due. Their prayer, this, this prayer that we're going to look at, is a beautiful glimpse into the heart of the people who formed that early church. It helps us to see who they are, what's important. We see the God that they knew. See, they knew God's history with them. They knew who God was to them. They knew God's heart. And most importantly, they knew and they were clear and they were not afraid of God's power. There was nothing They knew there was nothing that God could not do if He chose to. And so they chose to pray big prayers because they knew they served a big God. All of this despite the fact that their friend and Savior had just been killed. They knew that even that was not beyond God's reach. And the awesome thing is that that God that they're praying to that we're going to hear about right now, that God is still big 
And He still wants to hear your prayers. See, God is in the business of answering big prayers. I, I, I truly believe that God is in the business of answering prayers that we can't even imagine how to come up with a solution. I give you, for example, this place. We would have been crazy to have dreamed about all of this. But somehow in the middle of all of this, God has a plan. God loves big prayers because God is a God of big answers. Verse 25, "...who through the mouth of our father David..." This is their prayer. "...your servant said by the Holy Spirit..." Holy Spirit is still brand new in their understanding. Pentecost isn't very long ago. But they understand that all the power that they have access to, it all comes to the Holy Spirit. They say, "...why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain?" The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. They're saying all the people that held all the power in the world that they lived in rose up against Jesus and rose up against God. And they said, we're going to put an end to this right now, here, now, forever. It's not unlike what's happening in America today. Am I right? But they understand that God is bigger than all of that. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. See, these folks had lived through what had happened with Jesus. They had seen it. They hadn't heard about it. They'd witnessed it. They'd seen with their own eyes. They heard the reports as the news was happening. The things that we read about in the New Testament from those days, they lived through. And they knew that despite all of that, God... Himself was more. Verse 28, they say, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These Christians knew that everyone and everything is under God's control and under God's command. Even the enemies of God. There's nobody, there's nothing out there that exists outside the reach of God. Even the Jewish leaders, even those evil Roman government and their leaders. But to hear that, there's no one. There's no thing on this earth that is outside the control, the knowledge, and the command of our God. Whatever that big prayer of yours is, the reason you may not be praying it is because all you see is obstacles. You see reasons why it can't happen, why it can't come to pass, why the cancer can't be cured, or the addiction can't be broken, or the sin can't be forgiven, or the, rela- <coughs> excuse me, the relationship can't be healed. All you see is the reasons why not. These folks understood that God controlled all of that. And they say, Now, Lord, look upon the threats. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Peter and John had come and said that they told us we can't talk about Jesus anymore. We can't talk about this faith of ours. They don't want to hear any more about it. And their prayer instead is to say, grant Peter and John and all of us the boldness to never stop talking about Jesus. This should be our prayer, folks. As Christians, we need to be willing and prepared to speak the Word of God, the truth of God, and the love of God with boldness. We're called to tell the world of the ways that God has been real to us. We don't make up stories. We just tell the truth. It doesn't mean you've got to have the Bible memorized or a dozen verses at the ready. What it means, you just need to have a relationship with Jesus and tell people why. Why are you excited about speaking about your faith? See, these folks were. They prayed for more. They prayed for boldness, despite the real and present danger to their lives. 
these religious leaders, they made it clear that not only could they, but they would act on it. They put Jesus on a cross for crying out loud. So why don't we talk about our faith? Well, let's be honest for a moment. Can we? We're afraid of what people will think about us, aren't we? We're worried about what our family or our friends, we might not be cool all of a sudden. We don't talk about our faith because we're not sure where somebody else stands and and worse yet, we're afraid of what they might think about us, aren't we? We're worried that people will think less of us if we talk more of Him. So, how about we cheer for the twins getting into the World Series? That's going to make you look good in about October, won't it? Maybe this is the year the Vikings go all the way. Not that I wouldn't love to see it. But we waste our energy on so many things. And when people say that we're ridiculous for believing that, we just brush it off. But when it comes to Jesus, we just get silent. Why? Because, well, because we don't know what people are going to think of us. Maybe it won't go well. See, the the idea of threats against Christians, against these disciples, against preachers, against everyday ordinary Christians, it's nothing new. 2,000 years ago, the Bible records that people were offended. 2,000 years later, people still are. Do you know why? Because there's something in all of us that has an understanding and a knowledge at some very basic level that there truly is a God and that that God has given us everything and expects so very little in return. And the word that we use in the Christian church is conviction. We understand that we're not living the way God would have us live. So rather than talk to someone else about it or change something in ourselves, we just ignore it and we make it go away, but it never really does. Angela Merkel is the German chancellor. I think it was in November that she said uh, very publicly that Christianity was the most persecuted religion in the world. Interesting statement coming from Germany. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Oh, the world press had a field day. They went after her with everything they had. Mocked her, made her look silly, told her she was wrong. It was a lie. What are you trying to do? No, no, no. The real persecuted religion is. And they named other ones that are being persecuted most often by their own governments, for the record. And then people started doing some research. They started looking into it. You know what they found out? Found out she was absolutely right. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Despite the anger that she was met with, the way that she was made fun of, she was absolutely correct. Now, it's not popular, it's not politically correct to talk like this, but what the numbers say is the 200 million, 10%, 200 million of the Christians in the world are intentionally targeted, targeted, oppressed, harassed, or disadvantaged specifically because of their faith. Most often because of their own government or because government-sponsored organizations. 10% of the Christians in the world are being persecuted directly. Do you know that in the Middle East, the birthplace of Jesus, where the vast majority of this book takes place, do you know that in the Middle East, where Jesus was born, two-thirds of the Christians have either moved or been killed because of their faith? Christianity is, for all intent and purpose, on the verge of extinction in its birthplace. Between half and two-thirds have left. Not always because they want to, but because they have to. There's this growing intolerance and, and more and more bold violence 
on the part of a particularly particular religious group that I've been told in this country I can't talk about anymore. You all know who they are. So the problem that these leaders had 2,000 years ago, well, there's still people that have a problem. So what they're doing is they're killing and displacing Christians. See, they believe that their God, I use that as a small g, by the way, has directed them to exterminate Christians rather than to live peaceably among them. might not be politically correct to say, but it is absolutely true and factual. One of the most difficult places in the world right now to be a Christian is in the birthplace of Christianity. We're told, don't talk about it, don't say it. Uh, This radical and hostile oppression isn't just found in foreign countries that most often are ruled by that one type of religious government. We read about it happening all over the world and we are surprised, we feel bad. We don't like to hear about pastors or missionaries or Christians that are jailed. seems like they never get a fair trial. But you know what? It's happening here in the U.S. as well. If you're following the news, there is a lot of stories coming out of the state of California. People with awful loud voices making some awful strong claims. And then there's even legislation being brought through to the state house for approval that essentially says that Christianity can't be spoken and the Bible can't be sold. Disagrees, it says things we don't want people to hear. And there's enough of a majority out there that it looks like it may well pass. That's persecution, folks. U.S. courts more and more often are ruling against Christians. There's this rising tide of hostility and anger based out of fear and conviction about what the Holy Spirit is doing in people and Rather than softening themselves, what they do is they get more angry. And what they start doing is labeling you and I as Christians as the problem, and so then they start hating us. As Christians, folks, we need to start praying and praying with power like we never have before. We need to pray like these first century Christians did, and we need to believe that God will hear and that God will act. Because you know, the the tide that we're seeing in this country is we're not so far away from Christianity being extinguished here as well. I'm not trying to say that to scare you. But it's happening in other places. And the movement has begun here. Now is not the time to get quiet. It's the time to stand boldly. To pray boldly. To grab hold of our biblical faith and to be unwavering about sharing the truth of the love of Jesus to everybody who will listen. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us to divide people. It doesn't tell us to condemn or to judge. Not even Jesus came to condemn us. Jesus came to save us. The command of Jesus is that we're to preach and to preach boldly the truth of the life-saving gospel of Jesus. What does that mean in your world? Who is Jesus to you and why do you believe in Him? Simple as that. That's all you've got to share with someone. We don't have a command to speak against other churches or other Christians or other denominations or other pastors. We have a command to preach the truth of God with boldness and to work to unite God's church on earth in truth. It's as simple as that. Want a bold prayer? Start with that one. Go on to verse 30. While you, they're talking about God, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus is dead. He was risen again. He's gone on to be with His Father. But the miracles that He started performing are still being done by the likes of Peter and John. i got news for you. Whatever your prayer is, God heals. God still does miracles. 
I challenge you to think last week, what if? What if God would heal you or your loved one? What if God would do a miracle where that was the only answer you could come up with? What if you believed and God stretched out His hand and touched your life or the life of someone you cared about? What then? What if God stretched out His mighty hand and healed our land? What if God used unlikely common men and women like us to do it? I wonder what our response would be then. Do you believe it's possible? Are you one of those that says, we're doomed? It's too far. It's too much gone. We can't do it. Nothing's going to fix this mess. The America that we know has been lost forever. Or do you believe that God actually can heal our land? Do you believe that God can actually heal and work a miracle on that big prayer that you've got in your heart that you've been thinking about? So what if? What if God broke through the, to the United States and people began to love and fear God again? What if? Do you even dare pray that prayer? I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what would happen. What would change? Everything. But you know, God's still at work. God's going to continue to be at work. And as long as we're obedient to Him, as long as we don't bow down in silence to the forces that rise up against us, uh, Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Pretty simple, isn't it? But do you believe it? Do you believe that God is still at work? What if we all prayed like we believe that God really could? Just imagine if everyone in this room gathered for one of your prayers. If one of you said out loud, here's my big prayer, and everybody in this room gathered and prayed for it. I wonder what would happen. I wonder. I wonder what would happen. If the people all got together and prayed in agreement, verse 31, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Remember what happened when the angel came to the tomb to meet the ladies? Heaven came to earth and there was an earthquake. See, when God comes to earth, things happen. I wonder if God's people got together and agreed in prayer. I wonder what would happen. Matthew 28 said, And behold, there was this great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. When God breaks through, things happen. Things get shaken. The world changes. Lives change. People change. And then the most awesome thing of all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The boldness wasn't from themselves. It was from the Holy Spirit. But do you realize they prayed for it and they got it right there. They got together and God answered their prayer. I think as Christians we have to make sure that we're working to pray for peace and to pray for love and to pray for unity that's louder than the calls and the rants and the tirades and the threats of these radicals against us. Our faith and our love have to be greater than their hate. And it isn't just another religion. It's people, and you know this, who are your friends. It's people who might be your neighbors, your family. Certainly people who we share this country with. Our love as Christians has to be greater than their anger and hatred. Our belief has to be greater than their fear. Our pleas for peace must be louder than their demands. And the only way that that's ever going to happen is in God. You and I can't make that happen on our own. What we can do, though, is like those early Christians, is we can give thanks in all things and all circumstances. 
We can pray with belief. We can pray with conviction. We can pray in faith. And we can pray in the trust that God can and will do all things. In fact, immeasurably more than we could ever know or ask. But do you believe it? Go back to your big prayer. What's your big prayer? If God could intervene right here, right now on earth and change any one thing, what would it be? What's keeping you from asking God to do just that? Do you believe but not quite enough? I love that verse, help I believe, but help me in my unbelief. What's your big prayer? See, those early Christians, they knew that God could and that God would. They knew that no prayer was too big for God, the God who created everything that is, all of the universe and everything within it and everything beyond it. So what about you? The question really is, how big is the God that you serve? See, some of us, we come to church, but we really don't know who God is, and so we're serving other things that are small G's. We're serving our money, hoping that our money one day will serve us. It never will. It'll just run out. We're serving our house or our car or our job. We're serving all kinds of other stuff. But if you serve God, capital G, the Father, Creator of all that is, how big is He to you? Are you praying in a way that matches the power that He really has? Do you believe God is able to do miracles? Do you believe God can heal the cancer? Do you believe God can give you a heart of forgiveness? Do you believe God can do a miracle when there's no other choices or hope? Do you believe God can break an addiction that you can't get past on your own? Do you believe that God can stop your cycle of sin because you can't stop it by yourself? Do you believe that God can forgive you so that you actually can be free to live the life He created you to live? See, the answer is, yes, God can. Will you let Him? Will you ask Him? Will you even allow God to be that powerful for you? Some people just kind of want to give lip service to God, but they don't really want Him to break through in that big a way. The fear is that now we might owe Him something. I've got news for you. You already owe Him your life and your eternity. Will you allow God to be that powerful in your life? And if He is, what if He answers your prayer? Are you ready for that? What if He heals that illness, restores that relationship, gives you a heart of forgiveness, allows you to know that you're forgiven, breaks the addiction? What do you do then? Suddenly you're a new person. Can you not tell someone? See, that's where the New Testament Christians were. They had to tell, even under threat of the government that put Jesus in the cross. Will you be like the early Christians who could do nothing but tell? Tell of God's mighty power and how He invites us to come to Him in prayer? People say prayer is not that exciting. i got a challenge for you. What's more exciting? What's more exciting than having an opportunity to bring to the Creator of the universe whatever your big prayer is, knowing that He will hear you? Is there anything more exciting than that? If you've got your big prayer, if you've been thinking about it for a few minutes, keep it right there in the front of your mind and join me in prayer. God, our world does not help us to understand who You are. Our world works to get us to challenge and doubt You. Our world tells us to believe in ourselves, to believe in our money, 
to believe in our own ability. And God, all You ask is for us to believe in You, to put our faith and hope and trust and love in You and in Your Son, Jesus, who did for us what we cannot do for ourselves when He died on the cross. And God, You raised Him from the grave, and in doing that, You proved that not even death had a hold on us. And yet still, God, we're afraid. So God, we've been challenged this morning to to think of a big prayer. Most of us right now have that big prayer on our hearts, right there at the front of our mind. And God, I know that in an instant I can just ask God, hear those prayers, and You do. God, know the hearts that those prayers come from, and I know, God, that You do. So God, we ask because You tell us that we can. We ask, God, that You would heal those diseases, that You would bring miracles where there's no other choice, that You would repair and restore those relationships, that You would soften hearts that have hardened, that You would heal us and transform us out of addiction, that You would give us hearts of forgiveness and hearts to forgive, hearts that know that we have been forgiven. God, whatever that big prayer of ours is right now, right in this moment, we're going to muster up just enough courage to give it to You. God, hear those prayers. And then God, do what You do and go to work on them. Bringing all of Your power, all of Your glory that is in heaven to earth. And God, we give You thanks because You care and You hear and You listen and You answer. In Jesus' name, Amen.